When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here continuing our expectations series. I have a lot of fun doing these. We've had a lot of different analysts on to talk about two different players, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, uh, and what we hope to that the, they'll produce for the Ravens this year, what they can get better at, and eventually what is a good and great outcome for each. Joining me here to talk about this is Chris Rayborg. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Ken. Uh, great being on as always. Uh, I know it's it's only been about a week since our last episode, so uh, thank you for the for the invite back, and happy to be here. Yeah, Chris. Uh, Chris was at the Super Bowl 35 celebration, and and uh, that was a real good you know review of that. I thought very emotional night for the for the Ravens. It's easy to see how uh, Baltimore will continue to fall more in love with that group of people as time passes. We saw, you know, I saw anyway at the Golden Arm events, for example, just how much. Uh, the city is still in love with the 1958 Colts. Yeah, for sure. I remember actually talking to my brother a few days after, um, and he 
you know, may have been like five, six years old, I think, at the 2000 season. So he, I asked him, I was like, do you remember anything? He's like, no, I don't remember anything. But, uh, you know, he's he's watched all, all the clips and, and things like in the years since. And, um, you know, it, it, he doesn't have that, that firsthand nostalgia. But I think, uh, yeah, like you said, I, I think it's really uh, continues to kind of live on. Yeah, there'd be, there'd be various uh, videos are still available right now. There are some that show up on YouTube from time to time before the NFL gets them deleted for, for individual games. But the, the yeah. playoff games, they released all four at one point together in a, in a little set. You can probably still buy it on eBay or whatever. It was about $50 mm-hmm. back at the time. But it was all four games in the old SD format, which was uh, you know better than nothing. At the time, yeah. now we, we watch a football game in SD and we you know squinch our nose at it, but uh, but it was terrific at the time. Uh, anyway, if if you can get that by all means, but I, what I'm thinking about is is sometime uh, over the next uh, two to three years, putting together a series of game by game reviews of that season that I think would be a lot of fun and uh, maybe do the same kind of format I have during the regular season of having guest analysts on and 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 looking at each of these games individually. But I think that would be a uh, a fun thing. I'd like to hear from listeners if they would, if they'd really like to hear that on, you know, regular offense and defense shows for a, a, a period of uh, 16 or 20 weeks during the off season, where we'd be going over uh, the same way offense and defense is done on a, on a weekly basis. And, and don't be afraid to tell me, I just don't have any interest in that at all. Uh, love to hear from you on Twitter. Uh, if that's the case, I always hear from the people who, who generally want the thing. It's kind of like putting the old is life fair on a sign and microphone next to it in a, in a village square. You're going to get all the people who thinks life is not fair, you know, <laughs> talking into the mic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that would be a cool idea though, but let's, uh, I guess let's move on to the, the meat of this episode. <laughs> I, I do appreciate it. So let's, the two players we're going to talk about tonight are Gus Edwards and Tony Jefferson. And this is part of the theme of the show is we take two disparate players. So we're not taking two competing positional group players. Um, we're not looking to uh, totally settle a position group argument on this. In fact, what we're trying to do is give a lot of different analysts an opportunity to opine uh, on how these players fit into the position groups and hopefully get a wider variety of shows. I promise you we will have those position groups coming up anyway. But Gus Edwards, the first one we'll talk about tonight. Uh, Chris, you picked him. Tell us about why you wanted to do him and and uh, and who Gus is and where you want him to be. Yeah, um, I've been a fan of Gus. I mean, I, I think, you know, we talked about him a lot over at our podcast, over, uh, you know, One Money Podcast with Alec and Peter. Um, you know, I, I think... I just, I really love his playing style. I just, he's, you know, the first, you know, uh, two years, I think he's kind of been a bruiser. You know, you need three yards, he's going to get you four or five. Um, you know, not a guy who has, um, you know, breakaway speed, uh, as, at least, you know, not as much as another guy like Dobbins or, or some other players. Um, not a whole lot of that. He's not extremely shifty or anything, but he's just a bruiser, can get the guards you need, um, just very reliable. I mean, you look at his first three seasons, I think he's had over 700 yards of rushing, every mm-hmm. season uh very consistent um and, and again like and these are you know he's not the lead back in any of these situations lamar jackson is you know for better or worse the lead back and uh, the running backs behind them are shifting out all the time um so you know I, I really like him from that perspective he's an undrafted guy i mean he's a he's a great guy to root for i think um very underrated uh i'm sure we could probably have a, a conversation five you know ten years from now and just you know what do we think about gus edwards and and his time with the Ravens. Um, but yeah, I, I love his story. I, I love, I, I love the player he is. And I, I think he's a great uh, role piece on this team. 
And you mentioned the consistency is remarkable. I mean, literally one of the most consistent players in NFL history over his first three seasons with 718, 711, and 723 yards with 5.2, 5.3, and 5.0 averages. By the way, it's much easier to do that, to be as consistent in terms of your average run when you're at about four yards per carry. To do it at five and 5.3, you know, to 5.3 yards per carry, it's remarkable. I mean, it's just remarkable to, to maintain that kind of over five consistency for that period. It's one of the things that I've loved about him is the Yakko numbers he gets. That's the yards after contact numbers. Um, he, he has two things that have really helped him with that. Obviously, part of that has been the offensive line getting him first contact in level two and sometimes in level three, which has really benefited a player like Gus because he's a bigger player. He has a lot of advantages there. Uh, you mentioned he, he don't really consider him particularly shifty. What, one of the things I really like about Gus is his, his ability to um, be a little bit slippery in terms of how that contact is taken. It takes some deflective contact, uh, something, you know, really older football fans will know. And I never saw Jim Brown play, but I saw him play enough on, on, on the film to know that Jim Brown leaving a leg was a significant thing that, that he would deflect that contact, uh, you know, eliminate some of that contact by, by having it go through a, a thigh, which was very difficult to bring down because of Jim mm -hmm. Brown's, uh, you know, relative size to the players in the game in that era. And, uh, and, and S Edwards has some of that in him. Now I'm not, I'm not calling Edwards Jim Brown, but he has a lot of that leave a leg in him as part of his uh, additional yards per carry metric. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I think that's one of his best qualities about him. Um, you know, when I said he wasn't shifty, is more of just, you know, he's not, you know, he doesn't have a lot of moves. He's not going to be able to juke a guy out and, you know, uh, after contact, things like that. I mean, his, his stiff arm is okay, but it's not anything, you know, that I would say is like fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I think absolutely. It's the, the, his ability to always be able to pick up those extra yards in between the tackles, I think is fantastic. Um, but that being said, 2020, uh, we saw a really great step up from him uh, in the passing game. I think he, you know, didn't really show too much uh, his first two years, but uh, 2020 he had a handful of uh, catches down the sideline. I remember uh, there was that one, there was uh, him and Andrews, I think in the area, I don't know who was intended for it, but Andrews said, you know, Gus, you can go ahead and take this one, made a block and he was able to cut up along the sideline and pick up an extra, you know, 10, 15 yards. Uh, and there was another deep pass. I think that he caught a little bit later where you're like, wow, you know, I didn't know Gus had it in him, but uh, it was it was really great. I, I think for me, that, that's something I'd love to, to kind of see from him. But obviously with the injury in 2021, I, I think there's a lot of question marks now in that. I, I completely agree in terms of if he could step up in the passing game, that'd be a really nice thing to have. Uh, he, he's approved his receiving a little bit every year, but Gus Edwards has been a, a, a sneakily very effective receiver in a limited number of targets. So in three years, he's gotten... How many times has he carried the ball? Let's look at this for a second. He's carried the ball 414 times and caught 22 passes. So it's not exactly balanced in terms of, of how he's making his contributions. But those yeah. 22, 22 passes, 9.9 .9 yards per target, which is outstanding for a running back. Running backs approaching anybody, approaching 10 yards per target is fantastic. I mean, to put that in, in – uh, uh, you know, relativity on that. Mark Andrews is at 8.9 last year. And I think if he could stay right at nine, that would be terrific. So uh, one of the things about that is the Ravens don't really run a lot of screen passes to the running back. Some people haven't liked that over time. 
in in part because uh, you know they think it would be effective, but uh, and they see other teams doing it well. I think is more it. But the Ravens had a line of elephants as opposed to gazelles. Now that they've got a gazelle with Linderbaum, Tyler Beatty being a really accomplished receiver, I think we'll probably see more uh, design screen passes because even getting one block out in front of a screen pass can be very effective uh, if your receivers are also doing some good. So uh, got some got some real possibilities for 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 good blocking schemes with the combination of uh, of tight ends and Linderbaum out front of Beatty. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great point. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think kind of going back to it, I, I know, you know, we didn't, didn't want to make this about a position group battle, but um, you know, when we're talking about 2022, I think there's, you know, when you're talking Gus Edwards, I think the big question mark is, is he going to be healthy or not, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, the you look at the position group room, three of the guys coming back were off of ACL injuries from last year. And now you're adding Mike Davis uh, before OTAs and you have Beatty, as you mentioned. And so, uh, you know, a big question for me is just, you know, what are we going to get from Gus? You know, is is he going to be, is he going to come back and, you know, where he left off and get another 700 yards this season, like nothing happened? Or, you know, uh, what's going to happen? It, it, it's it's really all over the place. So I was thinking of Gus and like, you know, I I really love the player. I love what he brings to the team, but I really have no idea what he's going to bring in 2022 for us. Yeah, good, great point. I mean, and, and it's, it's so much risk involved in that health. There is a lot on the line for Gus Edwards in 2022 because he he makes a large for anybody, but but especially large for a running back, $4.4 million base salary in the final year of his deal in 2023. So in 22, when he can't be cut for a gain in any way, he's really playing for that $4.4 million salary next year. And also the possibility he might be extended, re, you know, resigned to a, mm-hmm. to a different deal. But uh, if, he, if he has a good year, I think he at least plays out uh, 2023 with the Ravens uh, on that contract and, and, and quite possibly gets extended. If he, if he gets hurt again uh, or he doesn't do too much, I mean, he's almost certain to either be uh, have a salary cut for the final season by some mutual agreement or just be, be cut from the team. Uh, which is also a possibility, obviously, given the uh, given the salary. But he's he's got a lot on the line. He's definitely at a crossroads of his career, which a lot of players are coming off an injury. Uh, in particular, being a running back with a big salary is a uh, is a always a risky place to be. For sure. I mean, you know. But on the other hand, though, I mean, his salary, you know, while expensive, relatively speaking. Um, still a fairly good deal. I mean, you know, this isn't like a, a Todd Gurley where, you know, we're spending, no. you know, you know, 15 million or however many it was for, for Gurley to be able to do that. I mean, 4 million, like, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if Gus is able to produce and somewhat close to what his level was before, I, I mean, I think that money is probably still worth it. Right. That's I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree. It is, it is, he's in the top 10% of running back contracts right now, he's 20th out of 200 on OTC was the uh, metric I'm, I'm I'm seeing there. I was, I was actually a little surprised by that. That wow. you know that that means that at least 12 of the 32 teams, and maybe one more than that, um, don't have a, a player making as much as him at running back. And you think of the Ravens as being you know particularly conservative in terms of running back salaries. So, you know, what they've done with Gus is, is a, uh, um, you know, a, a, a step they, they, you know, in the same year, they, they added a, a player for draft capital uh, in Dobbins. And then later that year, they, they added the, the uh, Gus contract uh, for multiple years. So it's a, um, it's, it's a, it's a step towards valuing more of the running back position. I, I heard 
that the Ravens were asking some analytics interns to answer the questions, um, uh, explain why running backs do or don't matter. And I may have, I may not be, might be saying the entire thing correctly, uh, but, but, but basically they were trying to answer that question. And, and uh, uh, it, it's just a interesting uh, uh, that they would do that and then still be, be being paying, you know, one running back a really fair so significant salary and have another uh, where you spend a significant amount of draft capital. Right. I'm sure you would have loved to uh, talk to them if you haven't already. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on and talk about like what would be a good year and a great year for uh, Gus Edwards. And I'll, I'll start with this. It's a good year for me from Gus Edwards is he returns healthy at some point early in the season. And I don't, I'm not going to say he has to be there for the opener, but I think if, if it was all the way at midseason, I think it would be kind of a loss for the Ravens in terms of of uh, of not having his nice production there for for a lot of the season. It could even imperil some of their uh, run game dominance to not have him. Um, but if that if if he were to return early in the season, uh, you know, maybe misses the first four games, I'd be OK with that, I guess. Uh, if I if that, if I knew that was exactly when he's coming back and then he produced at a similar rate level as he had in the past, I think that would be a good season from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mostly agree with that. I didn't, I actually wasn't thinking about when his return was kind of going to happen. I know we've, we have been seeing, uh, you know, some reports I think out of camp and even before that of, of his recovery going on. So, I mean, as far as we know, um, as, at least I'll say, as far as I know, you may know more than I do, but as far as I know, I think, it, you know, his recovery is going fairly well. So I was kind of assuming, uh, you know, at some point, uh, you know, he would be coming back. This wouldn't be like a Ronnie Stanley situation. But uh, then again, you know, we thought Ronnie was going to come back last year. So anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, yeah, I I think my good expectation is sort of in alignment with that. Um, certainly, I think the, you know, 700 yard bar, wherever he was in 2020 and the years before that, I, I think that is a little high in terms of a good expectation. Um, so, yeah, if he can come in and be, you know, uh, you know, one of the third down back where Dobbins and, you know, Beatty and some of the other guys are, are kind of leading most of the carries. I'm fine with that. I think that would be good for him. Uh, a couple hundred yards, 300, 400 yards in those situations where he can still churn out the, you know, the third and threes, third and fours, things like that. Um, I would love for, uh, for that for Gus Edwards, even if he is not contributing that much in the passing game or, you know, being as big of a featured role in the running game. Yeah, so you could be be a short yardage back. Also, you, I'm sure you'd say fourth and one and things like that. You have him on the field just because he's a big body and a big threat to run that ball in, in those situations. Right. right. Yeah, I, I I would agree with that. I think that would be certainly a good result for him. Uh, I'll, I'll shift on to a great result: is that he's healthy for the opener. He conti- he helps fuel a varied attack, and we didn't really talk about this before, but this is important for for, for Gus is that he's really a better running back out of the pistol than he is at a sidecar. And why is that true? Well, out of the pistol, his primary, the primary area that he will attack is between the tackles. And that's where he's going to be better being a north-south runner. But that means that, that Lamar Jackson has to be the player who jukes that edge defender and wins on the outside and makes some of his big plays. 2019, they used the pistol most of the time. 2020, they moved to the, and 21 for that matter, they moved to the sidecar most of the time. Now, they didn't have um, Edwards in 2021. Uh, they had a bunch of other, you know, elder statesman backs who came in to, to uh, uh, you know, try and preserve whatever running game they, they could. But Lamar Jackson, the last two years, has been the middle threat 
for the Ravens. Uh, it may or may not put him at more risk of being hit. He certainly has opportunities to get out of bounds when he's when he's taking the edge roll, but there's also opportunities when, when he's right turning the corner where he might take a big hit um, it, it, by by trying to you know have him attacking the edge on a regular basis. Edwards is not a guy who's who's a great off tackle runner. Um, and, and if he is, it's, it's really just off tackle, you know, it's in that tackle tight end gap, not really running a stretch. Uh, that's not, that's not an ideal, uh, you know, run for him. I think that really minimizes what he brings in terms of first contact breaking. Uh, not, he's not my ideal guy of a cutback runner, although he, he can cut back a little. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, certainly can do you know a little bit of that stuff. But yeah, it's a guy like you know Dobbins. You know, you, you probably want a little bit more of that. He's just got more of that speed to be able to get to the edge and, and outside the tackles and stuff. Um, so let, let me finish up with my great year here then for him. So mm-hmm. he helps fuel a varied pistol slash sidecar attack because I really want to see the Ravens be able to vi- mix that up, play by play and, and and do both. He makes a few more contributions in the passing game, whether that's as a blocker uh, or a receiver, and that to me would be a great season. It could be, it, it could well be fewer yards. It could be at a slightly lower rate than it's been before. Uh, but I would call that a great season out of Gus. Yeah. I mean, I think the number one thing for me is, is be able to get that yards per carry somewhat close to what he's at before. Um, you know, like you said, I, I think the, the, the usage is going to be different, right? Because of just the, the fluctuation in the running back room. We don't know how the, the snaps are going to be distributed. We don't know how many games Gus is going to play. So yeah, the same yardage, I think, doesn't have to be the same. But if the yards per carry, if, if that's comparable, I think, to where he was in his career, I think that would be a pretty uh, big success. Um, the other thing, too, is, you know, um, you know, I, I guess I just had this realization now is that, you know, Gus is kind of, he he's the, he's the veteran in this uh, mm-hmm. group. I know the Ravens did sign Mike Davis, um, but he's not been in this system. Uh, Gus may not has for a number of years. Yeah, I mean, frankly, yeah, he may not make the roster at this point. So, um, you know, Gus is the elder statesman, uh, <laughs> which seems really weird. He's only been here four years. Uh, I guess if you're, I guess this will be his fifth year, I guess, if you uh, don't count, if you do count 2021. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that being said, he's the old guy. Um, there might not be as many snaps for him now that we have Beatty. Um, we'll just have to see. But yeah, I'd really like to see the yards per carry up. And I agree with you in the passing game. I, I would love, I loved in 2020 his contributions and in the passing game, I'd love to have a few more plays like that uh, to be able to get him the ball because uh, I, I think he, he did a great job in that role. All right. Outstanding. So we ready to move on to Tony Jefferson here? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Fascinating player here and, and very beloved by the Ravens fans on Twitter. They loved him when he was here. Uh, when things started to go wrong, Tony was very understanding uh, about the um, success that Chuck Clark was having. And, you know, he knew he was likely to be caught uh, entering the final year of his deal uh, after Clark had really done such a seamless job in taking over the green dot, playing great dime role, uh, where Jefferson, you know, had been a, a good safety moving up into the box and run fitting. And Clark filled a lot of those responsibilities quite well. And then Tony, if after a year out of the league, comes back, joins the Baltimore Ravens again at, for the stretch run and really opened eyes with his play. I mean, I, I thought he was just terrific, uh, as good as he's ever been really with the Ravens in terms of his his downhill play. And he did it uh, mostly being what I think the Ravens really thought he would do well for them, which is being a, a safety who's much more comfortable playing downhill, close to the line of scrimmage, covering a tight end occasionally, but really a downhill, close to the line of scrimmage run fitter is what Tony Jefferson came to the Ravens as. And and they they did play him on the back end some, but they already knew 
from his play at Arizona that that wasn't where he was most comfortable. So I, it was it's great to see him again excel in that role close to the line of scrimmage. Right. I, I think, you know, I, I loved him as well. I, I think that's spot on. Um, a lot of people did love him. I, I think that was definitely his biggest criticism of, of just, you know, not having too many of those deep safety snaps that he, he wasn't as good at. Right. I, I think that was the number one thing Cardinals fans were telling us when we got him. Like, you have to put him close to the line of scrimmage. You have to be able to, to let him you know, make plays off the, you know, five, 10 yards and things like that. He could be really great there, but don't put him on mm-hmm. the back end. And there were just far too many snaps, I think, through those years that we had him on the back end. Um, but I agree with you. Uh, the, the, the Rams game in particular, I was able to go in person to that one. I thought after that game, Tony Jefferson had a fantastic game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I loved the, the, that was one of the first games that season where we were able to have a lot of those three safety looks. And I thought Jefferson just played that third safety role extremely well. Yeah, I, I agree. Both both those games, Cincinnati and the LA Rams, even though obviously they both didn't end the way the Ravens would have liked. Jefferson was uh, had some eye popping play. Uh, in addition, this year uh, the Ravens don't have a lot of uh, of players who are an obvious special teams captain. I think Tony Jefferson gets that role not by default, but because he's a really good person to do it. With uh, Levine retiring, and I like the fact that he's a player who will lead the special teams and also be able to make a defensive contribution if called upon. I, I, I really love that combination. I, I don't like designated S special teams only players. I, I think that really is limiting in terms of roster construction. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, I guess, I mean, this might be a good question for you. I'm not sure if you know, Ken, but um, you know, I mean, I, I, I agree with you that I do think Tony is kind of probably the you know front runner to Levine's role. Mm-hmm. Have the Ravens ever given the sort of special teams captain role to someone who was more, uh, you know, two or three years in the league or something like that. Cause I know at least in terms of snap counts, uh, Jefferson, I think the last couple games played between 25, maybe 50% of special team snaps where you have other guys like, you know, Christian Welch, mm-hmm. um, who you might play closer to like 70% or something. Um, Malik Harrison was also another one that might be up there, but um, you know, I just, would would you expect either of you know some of those guys, some of the other younger guys, to be able to get a role like that over a guy like Jefferson, or would Jefferson get it just because of his sort of uh, you know veterancy in the league? Here's what I would expect: I would expect Jefferson snaps to increase to every single kick coverage snap, which means he's he's there somewhere from L1 to R5 on each kickoff, and he's probably becomes the new personal protector for Stout this year because Levine is gone. So what that means is, you know, your, your personal protector is kind of the quarterback of your punt coverage team. And Levine would stalk around and he would do certain things to uh, occasionally change a play. Uh, he may have even been allowed to call a fake, call a, uh, a, a little dive play when he wanted. I don't know if that's true. But one thing he, I remember him doing that was just amazing was the Ravens only had 10 men on the field for a punt. And Levine was sharp enough to say, wait a minute, crap, Bowser's not on the field at left tackle where he's supposed to be on this on this scrimmage kick formation here, what would be left tackle. And, uh, you know, we're just going to wait this out, take the five-yard penalty, and then kick again because it's going to be a lot worse if we try and cover this punt with 10 men. Uh, so anyway, it, those that kind of awareness, Jefferson counting up the players, making sure people are aligned properly is a, is a very important punt coverage uh, – uh, sorry, punting. Uh, method. So he'll be on the field for all of those as well. In terms of punt coverage, 
Levine had an, an amazing nose for when a fake was coming. If you go back and look at the Browns game where Jillian had the fake, um, uh, uh, he's a foreign guy and went back there and all of a sudden he's doing things completely different in terms of just swaying side to side instead of a, like a, a tap, tap, get your footing, step, step forward, rocket kick back up. It's like, I've been seeing that for 50 years. So I know, I know what a punter is supposed to look like when he's lining mm-hmm. up and all of a sudden Jillian goes back and he just kind of starts rocking side to side. And Levine goes, Levine went ballistic. I mean, he just, he's repointing people to all different guys. If you had LG Fort, I probably also saw the same things. He may have been saying, shut up, Tony. I got it kind of thing. But he came in and made the tackle. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I want that. I want that sort of special teams awareness. And um, the fact that he's only played fewer snaps, I wouldn't. I, he'll be on for every uh, punt, kickoff, and and um, punt, uh, sorry, and uh, return probably return situation as well as a uh, as a uh, um, outside uh, corner uh, gunner blocker okay yeah yeah that makes so sense he'll be on there. yeah certainly yeah uh, you know the awareness i think is absolutely going to be key um yeah well we're we're losing one of the best i think in levine uh this year so um yeah i mean i'm i'm i'm, I'm excited for you know jefferson's contribution there um like i said i, I think he had a a you know, a, a great, I think a great role last year in the limited snaps in the last couple of games of the season. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that will definitely be needed uh, this season. So we, we didn't, we didn't talk too much about where he'd be defensively, but I, I, I actually think he's a guy who moves in to play the quarter role very naturally. And that, what that would mean specifically is that he replaces the Mike linebacker in four safety packages of obvious passing downs. And given who the Ravens have in terms of linebackers and a lot of the coverage problems they've had, no, nobody among um, uh, you know Queen or Harrison or Welch has has uh, you know shown themselves to be a particularly good coverage guy. And it's not Bynes' thing anymore with the, with uh, his speed. It's not ideal. He can make some contributions. He has awareness of where the ball is going, um, but but it's not the ideal uh, you know player to be in there on a on a passing down. Jefferson is the perfect guy, a great downhill tackler. I'll tell you one thing Tony Jefferson will not do. He will not lose track of the screen pass because it's one of the first things he's going to be looking for is where's that running back going? He's my responsibility and I'm going to play downhill and take that guy out. Uh, I just, I, I am so confident in his ability to do that relative to what we've otherwise gotten out of the either inside linebacker position. I'm not trying to pick on anybody in particular in this case, but uh, you know, Jefferson, I think can do that as well as anyone on the team. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great role for him. Um, you know, I, I was just thinking earlier of just, you know, I, I know a lot of, you know, fans nowadays are thinking, you know, is, is Chuck Clark going to be traded? What's his situation mm-hmm. going to be? And, you know, while we don't have to discuss that right now, I think, you know, the obvious situation is, you know, we, we do have three safeties right now who are clearly ahead of Jefferson in mm-hmm. the depth chart period. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's just a matter of like, I, I don't, Jefferson is not going to get any of those, you know, uh, safety snaps, right? The only, you know, way that he's going to be able to find that is in packages such as that, that, you know, you can put him, put him in positions where he's going to be successful, right? We've already, right. We, we've seen, you know, we've seen what Jefferson can do in those situations. He was already a starter for several years here. We know what, what he can do at this point in his career. We need to put him in the best situations to succeed. And I think that's a great, great idea. You also, you maintain the ability to move Hamilton around if he goes in and he takes over the dime from Chuck Clark. So Chuck Clark, when, when all three safeties are on the field, I expect Chuck Clark to be in a, in a effectively playing weak side linebacker, being the dimebacker. But if anyone were to get hurt, 
I mean, Clark would might have to play somewhere else, whether it's on the back end or whether it's whether you know he's the guy who gets hurt. Either way, Jefferson is is kind of a natural guy that you would bring in to play that dimeback role. If you if you really lost your back end capabilities, if Marcus Williams is the is the guy who gets hurt, I think you probably end up putting Geno Stone in to play more back end snaps. So I, that would probably yeah. also be true if if Hamilton were hurt as well. Uh, that you want a second guy who can really play the back end effectively. I think Stone Stone could be that guy. But if if you have to replace either either your dime or quarter role or even your your big nickel, uh, if if you want a guy who's really playing that, Jefferson's a, a can do any play any of those roles and can play them very well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing we've we've talked about with some of the players, but Jefferson is definitely. Uh, probably already has a handshake agreement to have a handshake agreement is what I what I, I said, uh, meaning he's a veteran who uh, provides roster flexibility. He makes the vet minimum and the Ravens will probably cut him on a handshake deal to bring one guy additionally on on IR. So he won't make the initial 53 for those people who are making your initial 53 list for that Ravens comp- you know, competition they have. Hate to give away all my strategy up front. But, but anyway, he, <laughs> he, he will for sure be on the strategy on the on the team on opening day. Uh, at least I, I, as I see it right now, for sure, we're, you know, assuming there's no injury, uh, assuming that safety run plays out, how I expect they've got tremendous depth there, but I don't see him getting cut uh, by this team. Right. Yeah. I, I think for me, yeah, it was, is it was just his level of contribution on special teams of, of if, if he's that special teams captain, absolutely. He's going to be on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was anybody else who might step up in that role, then I think there might be a little bit more iffy, but because Chris Ford left for the Lions, I believe, um, I feel like he was may have been the next guy that could have kind of taken over for Levine. I mean, he was the you know I think the leading tackler on special teams this last mm-hmm. year, um, but yeah, now that he's gone, I, I, I think I think you're right. It, it kind of is Jefferson's job to lose at this point. Yeah, it's a, that's a good point on on board. I, he he probably could have been the personal protector. I mean, he fits the size and shape, and and uh, you know is the good legs to to go downfield. He could have been the guy. Um, let's uh, uh, talk about what's a good and what's a great outcome for Tony Jefferson in 2022. Do you want to start on this or do you want to let me go again first? Uh, yeah. I mean, I can go with, uh, I can go with good. So, I mean, um, like I said, I, I think good is that he's going to make the roster as the fifth safety. Um, you know, I, I think again, we literally just hit on this, but I mean, there are, you know, a couple of things with the numbers here as far as like, you know, is he going to be on? Um, but I think good, he's definitely going to make the roster um, plays at least, you know, 50, 60% of special team snaps. Um, you know, when I was writing this, I wasn't assuming that he would be, you know, the leader of the special teams unit, but um, as long as he is a significant contributor on special teams, I think that's a good season for him. Mm-hmm. Um, it, for me, he doesn't have to be as involved on defense for it to be a good season. Um, because I think, you know, based on the safety room now, I just think, you know, special teams is going to be his way forward. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I almost, almost an exact match. I, I had a little bit of a twist on this. He needs to captain a fine kick and punt coverage here. And the Ravens are always pretty good at kick and punt coverage, but it can't fall down in any way or can't suffer from the fact that Tony Jefferson is captaining it. I don't think it will. Uh, but the other comment I have to make about this is that he, he's very important to Stout's development in terms of uh, being able to make sure that that punt coverage is going off seamlessly. You know, a, 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 being the uh, personal protector, you're actually the third gunner on special teams because there's two outside gunners, but the, he's the inside gunner effectively who can release early if there's if there's not, he can't release before the ball's kicked, but he can, he can release uh, the earliest of the interior people 
in terms of if he does not have a block. So that's that's uh, you know I, something he needs to be a big part of is making sure he gets downfield. He'll probably make some a fair amount of tackles himself in that role. And uh, and and Stout's you know his specialty is the in twenty and the in ten. Uh, rate that he had in college and the Ravens need to capitalize on him. They, they spent a fourth round pick on him. Uh, they, they, I, I certainly hope they're right about him being able to, uh, to have his kicks covered as effectively there. So that's my good. And, and I, I'm like you, I, I, if he plays on a very limited basis defensively, all I want him to do is know that he can do it. But if the Ravens have so many safeties that he's not in their top four to choose from, or they, you know, they like four corners better than four safeties for some reason with McDonald Either of those is fine. I, I, you know, just he's available to play on a limited basis. Yeah. How about a great? Uh, a great for me. Um, yeah, definitely. I think captaining the special teams unit. I mean, you're cl- you know closing into eighty percent plus on these. Um, you know, certainly. It, it, obviously, with special teams, I think it's hard to you know say you know mm-hmm. certain statistics as far as you know other than snap count. Uh, you know, I'd love for him to have you know a fumble recovery or something on a punt, but I, I, you know. That's that's a, a a little bit of fluky of a stat, so I'm not gonna throw that out there. Um, but I, I think a great for me is that he can find ways to contribute to uh, defensive snaps. So mm-hmm. um, I mean, I would be happy with you know 10 to 20 percent snap count on, like you said, those quarter packages or you know other packages that he can contribute. Um, if he can make a play, a couple pass deflections uh, in those limited roles, I think that would be great. Um, for me, I think I was kind of. Uh, it would it would remind me if it would remind me of the season that Anthony Levine had, I think in 2018 mm-hmm. um, with very limited snap counts. Um, he was just extremely effective in that role. Um, if Jefferson could reproduce that, I think that's a great season. Oh, that would be that would be a fantastic season for sure if he did. I've I've got a I've got a great for you. It's good in special teams, like like you said, really converts on on you know what we have in terms of a kicker and a putter in terms of the coverage on those kicks and taking advantage of of who those players are because both of them can. Uh, can put the the opponents in in disadvantageous yards, uh, you know, uh, starting field position situations. But I'll, I'll give you another one, and this is I think really could, could be interesting. The 2019 Ravens obviously played, well, not obviously, but they played the most dime and quarter they ever have at four, over 42, percent and that includes the the, the playoff game. Um, part of that was a, a philosophy of I dare you to run the ball defense that they played in the second half when they had the lead. And if the team approaches the offensive efficiency they had in 2019, not a given by any stretch, obviously they have receiver mm-hmm. issues. Their offensive line may or may not be as good as it was then. It depends on some health issues, depends on how good Linderbaum is, whether they can get the right tackle situation, uh, you know, whether they have their guy set from day one there. Um, but, but anyway, assuming that the offensive efficiency is similar and they want to defend a lead in the second half, well, the, the 2019 Ravens had two real weapons they used on that. The one was these diamond quarter packages where they just said, we're not even going to try and defend the run. You go ahead and run if you want. It's a losing strategy. And the Texans down 34 to nothing ran for two two plays totaling 58 yards, which kind of but that was fine. It didn't matter in the game, but they scored their only touchdown that way. And my point being that you can afford to do that. You can afford to play these packages when you've got a big lead. Against the Bills also, they had a, they had a 15-point lead in the fourth quarter. And they allowed some some big runs to the Bills and looked like the dime package was getting beat because I think they had 9.3 yards per run against the dime. But they also had 0.6 or 0.4 yards per pass against the dime. So... It, it, that trade-off was yeah. very, very worth it. And, and it were 20, 20 passes and, and nine runs. 
So that also tells you a little bit about the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the importance of, of being willing to do that. So I, I want Tony Jefferson to be a big part of, I dare you to run the ball defense in 2022. I think that could be a lot of fun to watch. And I think we'll see a lot of second half turnovers if the uh, Ravens rely on packages that accentuate pass rush combined with a back seven that that can really deliver on on tip balls and uh, and uh, opportunities to pick them off. Interesting. All right. Well, you heard it, Lamar. You gotta you gotta get the offense going to make sure that we can replicate that. <laughs> Lots of good two minute first half offense means a lot in that regard, and, and for that matter, mm-hmm. you know when you start the second half. But anyway, it'll be fun. I it, Chris. Lots of fun doing this with you. You always you can tell by the timber of people's voices how much they're enjoying this. And I, I can, I can of course, look at you as, as well. I really appreciate having you on. Tell folks where they can they can read your work. Yeah. Uh, so as said earlier, I'm on uh, at One Winning Pod um, over with uh, Alec and Peter over at that show. Um, you could also follow me at, at Crayborg57. That's at C-R-A-B-O-R-G-5-7 on Twitter as well. And yeah. Okay, great follow. Make sure you do that. Uh, uh, Chris's uh, friends on the show are really good. Alec Pulianis, but people will know as a regular friend of the show who's on with me a lot. Uh, uh, and he's uh, at, he's at One Winning Powder. You guys are all sharing that Twitter handle. We we all share it, so I might as well. I want to throw that out there. Of just most of our tweets about the Ravens are going to be at at, at One Winning Pod. Um, but you can also follow my personal. You know, I, I might retweet a few you know tech tweets or, or things unrelated to the Ravens, but uh, I, I can't say that I'll tweet a lot, but I will be there. <laughs> All right. Outstanding to have you on, Chris. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short this summer, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, if you have a series idea, that's fantastic. We've, we've had several of those already. They've been a lot of fun to do, and I'm always interested in those kind of multiple conversations with good analysts and people who are interesting and, and uh, have something to say. If you've got research, we'll find a way to get that on a video where it's visual. Uh, if need be. Uh, we have one of those coming up that I think is really going to be good on the Ravens draft. But in, in general, if you have a narrow idea that you'd like to discuss in about 25 to 30 minutes, that's the perfect kind of show I'm looking for. Hit me up. DMs are always open. I'll get back to you very quickly, I promise. Chris, thanks a lot for coming on. It was a lot of fun talking about these guys. Thank you, Ken. Likewise. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.